Welcome to The Power of the Cross with special guest minister, Lauren Larson. This morning, I want to deal with a subject, and these passages most of us are well acquainted with, but I would like to deal with a subject that is touchy in a lot of churches, and that is this, dealing with people who fail. Now, look over at your neighbor and smile because you're looking at someone who fails. And one of the problems that we have in the body of Christ is that we don't understand failure and sometimes we throw people away when they're in desperate need of being strengthened, which would be really honestly for all of us. Um, There are no perfect people in the body of Christ. There are only people that are being perfected. That's a good time to say amen. Amen. I'll say it again. There is no perfect person, but there are people that are being perfected because we have uh, the fall, and we're going to look at that today, has created such a conglomeration of sin and depth of sin inside the human being, it is impossible for us to really comprehend uh, how far below God we fell when we fell in the garden. And then the procession of sin and dominion of sin in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds uh, has continued since the fall. If you don't believe me, just take a look at our nation, compare it morally 50 years ago to what it is today. And we see the term sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Now think about that progression over 6,000 years. And so the human being, far separated from God, um, has a lot to overcome after being saved. And that's something that's hard for us to comprehend because we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not a lesson that gives the believer the opportunity to say, oh, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what I do. Just the opposite. I tend to want to give hope to the people that are being perfected by what God has done for us through Christ at Calvary. I don't want you to stay in the, door, in, the, in the down of being defeated, and I don't want you to be overwhelmed with condemnation. So there is a balance to what I teach. Uh, oftentimes people will accuse me, well, Brother Larson, you sure sound like a Baptist. Well, it's because there's a lot of good Baptist doctrine that we need to embrace. Uh, because they've got the basics of, uh, oftentimes of Christianity. However, be it they are short on the spirit. Uh, the Pentecostal world could learn some things from our evangelical fundamental brethren and vice versa. So uh, what we're trying to do is balance out the perfecting process of Christ and what he has done for us at Calvary. Take a look at where we came from so that we can know what to do with ourselves and other people as we progress through the Christian experience. Because as I said before, I don't condone failure. I don't, I don't want to excite failure. To be honest, with, I don't have to do that at all. You do that well enough all by yourself and I'm in that category as well. So failing is something that we do, but I'm not encouraging failing. I'm trying to get us to move beyond it and not throw people away and not become so discouraged ourselves that we don't, uh, that we don't get back up after we fail. Because Christ and his blood and what he did for us at Calvary is sufficient for every sin. That's a good time to say amen. Amen. Brother Larson, teach on Brother Larson. Amen. So we're going to be looking at, and and my title is the same that uh, Pastor has on the screen, By Grace 
through faith, because this is the process, the ways, the means of our experience in Christ from its beginning to its end. And if we understand it and if we'll embrace it, we will neither condone failure nor live in it. And that's where we want to be, by grace, through faith. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to teach your word. And we're asking, Lord, for you to open up this process of thought to us. And we'll give you the praise, Lord. We invite the presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning to minister to us, to show us ourselves and show us the solution, God, that you have given us in Christ as to where we can be. And let that be our highest goal in life, to become what you have died to provide us to become. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And amen. A little background on the book of Ephesians. Most of you are Bible students to a certain degree, and you've studied the Bible. You know that Paul stayed at Ephesus the longest of any of his times as a pastor. Uh, He stayed in the Ephesus area for really three years. It was three years total thereabouts. And he impacted really what we call Asia Minor or Turkey now, um, in such a way that great churches were planted. The seven churches that we see referred to in Revelation, uh, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, all of those were a result of men being trained in Ephesus by Paul and then branching out uh, around the communities and planting churches, which is how the gospel spreads. And it was some years after uh, his final meeting with them that Paul would write to the church uh, at Ephesus. He was in Rome. He was in jail. And he wrote to this church at Ephesus. And Ephesus is a unique epistle. It's oftentimes referred to as the queen of epistles because it's not really dealing with a specific problem. Uh, Galatians had a specific problem. Uh, Colossians had a specific problem. Corinth had both epistles, first and second had major problems going on in them. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul isn't correcting as much as he is encouraging and instructing. And in the first three chapters of Ephesus, or Ephesus, of Ephesians, he really gives us our position in Christ, and he talks to us about our position. It's a letter of encouragement. So as we read it today, that's what we've come to study, a letter of encouragement, not necessarily a letter of correction, but in any instruction there's always correction because sometimes we think wrong, right? Sometimes we're not quite right where God wants us to be. Uh, and so Paul comes to this church that he, that he pastored, that he labored in for over three years, and he gives them and reminds them of information, surely, that he had to give them before. But there's another clue. As a pastor, as a teacher, uh, those of you that are here, don't ever tire of saying the same thing if it's gospel truth. Because people don't get it the first time through. Sometimes I don't get it the second time, or the third time, or the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I lose track after six. But um, the whole process of it is we, we sometimes think, well, we shouldn't have to say this. I've already said it once, or I'm not going to preach that message again because I've already preached it wrong. People are at different levels of their growth, and they don't always receive what they have to receive uh, when you preach the message that you preach. And so repetition is always your best teacher for the body of Christ. And so I'm sure that Paul had taught these things before, 
But now to this church in this area, he sends them a letter of great encouragement, and he talks to them, first of all, in the first chapters about the fact that they are redeemed by the Father, that they're chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. And in chapter 1, then he goes on to pray for them. And this is, this is really powerful. I didn't come to stop here today, but in verses 15 through 23 of the first chapter, he's praying for people that he has taught extremely well for revelation and understanding. And this is interesting to me. He says in verse 16 of Ephesians 1, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power he's praying for these saints to gain, to gain a better and further understanding of things he has already taught them This is not just opening revelation. Now what that tells me is that every single one of us in the body of Christ need to experience an ongoing revelation of who God is, what Christ has done for us, and how that impacts us. And that encourages me. There's no way for us to ever arrive at the place where we know everything we're supposed to know. Because God... How could we ever exhaust our knowledge of Him? We can't. And that's what makes Christianity interesting to me. 35 years after the born-again experience, I can look forward to learning something new about God today. I can look forward to having God show me something new about myself. A lot of times I don't like what He shows me, but there's some things that I have to see. And so this ongoing progression is a good thing. And Paul writes to a church that's been established that he was the pastor of. Once again, Again, let's allow ourselves to be learners. Did you know that the word disciple means learner? I'm a learner. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm learning Him. And so Paul, as he begins the letter, not only reinforces the truth that we've been chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son and sealed by the Spirit, but then he goes on and he says, look, I need you to have a constant, ongoing, never-ending revelation of who God is, what Christ has done for you, how powerful the Spirit of God living in you really is and what He's come to do. And in order for you to see that, I kind of want to take you back to where you started. And this is what he does in chapter 2 and verse 1. And he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The idea of quickened means you have been made alive. You have been made spiritually alive. Now, you were born of a woman. You were born at the time that you had physical birth. But here... He's talking about the spiritual birth. You were dead spiritually. And dead always has a connotation of relationship. What were you dead to? You were living, you were breathing, you were walking, you were acting, you were talking, but what were you dead to? I'm sorry? Yeah, you were dead to God. Everything to do with God. You started off in this life not connected to God, but separated from God. Totally separated from God. The world doesn't want to hear that this morning. 
But the world starts off, every human being starts off totally separated from God. You were dead in relationship to God. Now, the whole world wants to talk about God, talk about their own version of God, talk about what they think about God, even though they don't care for the book much. The Bible tells us what we're supposed to know about God. When I listen to the world talk, they'll tell me what they think or what they feel or what their emotions tell them or even what spiritual experiences have brought to them. But they're dead. If you haven't, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you're dead to God. That means you have no active relationship with God outside of the fact that God is calling you to himself through the person of his Son. And as people witness to the the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, men and women around us are either going to get glad or get mad. Because they're going to be mad if that's not their version of God. Well, that's not how you, that's not how, but the Bible says he that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son hath not life. So it's just that simple. The only way to God is through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can I encourage you today uh, to remind you that the world needs to hear and needs to know that the only way to have a relationship with God is through Christ, and until we accept Christ as our Savior, we are dead to relationship with God. Now, it doesn't mean that person is dead, doesn't mean God is dead, but it means that there's no ongoing relationship between the two. You were dead to God. You were dead to God. He reminds you, you hath he made alive. That's what it means to be quickened. You hath, you hath he made alive who were dead to God as a result of your trespasses. And this is a break from uprightness or sins uh, to miss the mark. Thank you for listening to The Power of the Cross. We pray this message is a blessing to you. You can access our sermons at GrenadaChurch.com. We also ask you for your financial support in helping us reach the world with the gospel. You can donate to our ministry by secure means at GrenadaChurch.com and click Donate. Now, back to the message. Our whole life prior to getting saved was just one great big ball of sin. I mean, we, we can, bad people, okay, bad people can do good things. Somebody say amen. But just because they, bad people do good things doesn't mean that makes a bad person a good person. Jesus himself said there's none good but God. Remember when the rich young ruler came and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. So that would exclude all of us, even after getting saved. Just trying to bring down the self-righteous level a little bit, you know. Uh, and so we were dead to God. We missed the mark. We walked in sin. We trespassed. And this is how we walk. The Scripture says, "What you have he quickened, God has made us alive. He's brought life into us. Uh, oh, I don't want to get too far afield of my thought, but I just have to shout this. When I got born again, I was regenerated. And I'm afraid that most of the church doesn't spend time thinking about the miracle of regeneration. We say it and we go right beyond it. But I was dead to God. But 
the recreating power of the Holy Spirit. This is the born-again experience, and I personally think it was exclusive to New Covenant. Men before the cross could be saved, legally made right, justified, but I don't believe that the Spirit caused a born-again experience. Listen, the born-again experience means that the Holy Spirit came in and recreated your spirit. The Spirit is the part of you that comprehends or knows. And the soul is the part of you that feels. And the two work together. You can't really separate them. But when you were born again, when you were dead, your soul and your spirit were dead to God. You couldn't receive information about God. And to be honest with you, you hated God. You were at enmity with God. That was your feeling because God was just that guy that told you what you had to do that you weren't doing. You didn't like that. Amen, Brother Larson. Amen. We didn't like that. We wanted to think that we were pretty good. We bad people can do good things. But our soul was not knit to God. We didn't desire the things of God. We didn't run to this Word every morning. We ran from it. We didn't desire to go to church. We only went Christmas or Easter or when Mom made us. That was, it was, that was the bottom line. Uh, and so there was no desire for God in our soul. But when the Holy Spirit came in, we were regenerated. Our spirit Spirit was recreated to where we could start receiving information from God, and our soul was uh, recreated to where there was a desire for God. That's where the desire for God came from. When you got saved, all of a sudden you fell in love with the things of God. Friday night wasn't at happy hour at the local tavern. It was Friday night looking for a revival service. That was a change for me. You know, and so that was what our desires changed, and the spirit man was now recreated. I was dead, but he made me alive, Pastor. I can now receive information from God about God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Not only was I regenerated, I became a new creation in Christ Jesus, but he broke the power of sin that gripped me. There was no way for me to rise above the power of my own sinful nature. There was no way for me to rise above the power of indwelling sin. It bent me. It corrupted me. We're going to see the evidence of that today. Into something that was ungodly, something that was ungodlike. And everybody's influences and everybody's arena was a little bit different. So we didn't all respond to sin and the sinful conditions around us the same. But we were dead. And then he made us alive. And, 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 and that was not the end. That was the beginning. That's what I'm trying to get across to us today. Salvation was the beginning of a whole new process of learning and growing and moving forward. And I like winning, but every now and then I stumble along the journey, but I'm going to get back up in the greatness of what God has done for me and keep moving forward. Because I was dead in trespasses and sins. But when I accepted Christ, He made me alive. And not only did He recreate me, give me a new heart, a new soul, and a new spirit, but then He Himself 
God, the third person of the triune Godhead, moved inside. I'm not talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit now. I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit moving into you and you becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a Pentecostal. I believe in the second subsequent work of the Spirit. I believe that when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit after salvation, that God equips you to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. But that's for service, not primarily for sanctification. And our Pentecostal world and our Pentecostal forefathers primarily put the baptism with the Holy Spirit as the means of sanctification. And they totally missed what the born-again experience was supposed to do. And the message of the cross, and I'm here I am on my soapbox, the message of the cross is showing us what the Holy Spirit did at salvation and then shows us that on top of that, we have the foundation of freedom from sin and sanctification as a foundational truth of the work of the Holy Spirit. And then on top of that, we have the supernatural power for service. What we need to bring the world to Christ. What uh, We've got to have anointed preachers and teachers and living. That's what the baptism is for. But freedom from sin, my friend, is the result of the Holy Spirit's work at salvation. If you don't separate the two properly or you get the two balled up and mixed up, then you won't know what's happening in you. And if you don't know what's happening in you, you can't maintain what God wants to happen in you. And that's why our Pentecostal denominations, Assemblies of God, Church of God, have fallen by the wayside. Not because the baptism with the Holy Spirit is wrong. No, 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 no. Don't get me that way. Uh Uh-uh, don't take me there. I believe in the need of the baptism with the Holy Spirit for service. But if you don't lay it atop the first work, the foundation, then the secondary work of gifts and supernatural works collapses in on the failing character of the person that's been blessed with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It can't sustain it. And people all over the world are wondering, well, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and I speak with tongues and I operate in great gifts and I have an anointing that breaks the yoke off the lost, but I can't live right. What's wrong with me? We just, it's not, we just haven't understood what we're supposed to depend on to be changed, and then secondarily, what we're supposed to depend on to turn this world to Christ. So I, have my, I make my Baptist friends man mad and my Pentecostal friends mad. Pretty soon I'll have no friends left at all, but I want people to understand the gospel. You have he quickened. See, this is about being made alive. This is about experiencing the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit as a result of your salvation experience. And everybody that's been born again has this availability and this presence of the Holy Spirit. Everybody who's been born again is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? What we need to understand is that Acts 1 and 2 was not about, just about, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now let that sink in a second. Acts 1 and 2 is not just about the baptism, even though Jesus 
primarily was talking to his disciples about the need for the Spirit to carry out their ministry in chapters 1 and 2. That's, that's reality. When you read the chapters, he said you're going to need power to do what you're going to do. But the inside, the, the coming of the Spirit and all the Spirit's work really wouldn't be explained for some 15 years before until Paul was given it and then he added. See, God, he, he gives us things and then he asks us to look into them. He doesn't make us, he doesn't give them to us because we have knowledge. If that's the case, we wouldn't get anything until we had knowledge. And that means none of us could get saved until we were smart enough. That would be a problem because you can't comprehend God till after you get saved. So the Holy Spirit came into the world as a result of Christ's death on Calvary. Before then, he was with us. But he couldn't be in us. The night before he died, Jesus said to his disciples, he's been with you, but he shall be in you. He couldn't ever live inside of a human being before Calvary. Did you realize that before Calvary, even those that, that were legally saved and justified went to hell, they didn't go to heaven? Now let me clarify that before you get the shock on your face. They went to paradise, which was in the depth of the earth, because the, the, their, their faith was right. They were faith was in what God had explained and revealed. But their faith had to rest in a sacrificial system that could only cover their sins and not take it away. And so without sins taken away, humanity couldn't come into the presence of God. Because sin stood between them and the presence of God. But when Jesus came, John said, Behold the Lamb which taketh away the sins of the world. And after Calvary, the first thing Jesus did was descend down into paradise and say, Pack your bags, boy, we're going home. Pack your bags, boys. We're going home. Why? Because Isaiah and David and Jeremiah were all waiting for that moment when the Lamb of God would remove the stain of sin and allow them to go up into the presence of God. Now, when a believer dies, we go directly into the presence of the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the price that he paid but that's us going to God what we have to realize then is that in Acts 1 and 2 the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was God coming to humanity that believed and doing the work that makes us alive quickening us regenerating us baptizing us into Christ freeing us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and moving in you got God in you this morning if you're born again. God in you this morning. And the moment Jesus moves in through the person of the Spirit, He starts cleaning up the temple. Somebody shout amen. And starts taking things out and putting things in that's appropriate for His house. That's salvation. And that didn't happen that way until Acts 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. I'd turn over to Acts 2 for just a second. Now you got me on my soapbox here. I have fought and fought and fought this for years and years and years. 
And uh, because I was born again, and I wasn't baptized with the Holy Spirit for six months. But yet God delivered me, Pastor, from all those things. And was changing me, and was speaking to me, and then was revealing to himself to me. And, and then I got into a Pentecostal group, and I loved it, and they were great people, and they had the gifts of the Spirit, and man, I wanted what they had. But after about 10 years in Pentecost, sister, like what you saw, what you heard, I, I listened to Pentecostal preachers, and it's like they were talking like I didn't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit until I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, that's not right. But that's, they just didn't understand. They didn't know. Uh, Brother Swigert paid a high price because he didn't know. It's not that he, he, what did he know? He didn't know, it's not that he didn't know about Pentecost. Because he operated under the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit for service and was winning multiple hundreds of millions of people to Christ that still are saved to this hour and this day. That was a work of the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural. A long time ago, a Roman jailer asked the important question to the Apostle Paul, What must I do to be saved? Paul's answer was immediate and to the point. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. We have to realize that our sin separates us from God. And the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what did God do about this? He made it simple. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll just take a moment and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be be saved. Accept Him as your Savior, resolve in your mind to make Him Lord of your life, and follow Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as long as you live. If you've made a decision for Christ today, we would love to hear from you and send you a free Bible. Send us a message to info at GrenadaChurch.com. Thank you once again for listening to The Power of the Cross. If you have prayer requests, questions, or comments, email us at radio at GrenadaChurch.com or send them to the Lighthouse at P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. That's P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. God bless you and have a wonderful week.